Now, it's time for Modern Money Donuts with Stephen Hale and Gabrielle Bond. Hi, and welcome to our show, Modern Money Donuts. My name's Gabrielle Bond. I am an organiser for the Sustainable Prosperity Action Group in Adelaide in South Australia. I'm also a director of uh, Modern Money Lab, working with Stephen Hale and Phil Lawn. Stephen. How are you, Gabby? I'm good, thank you. Yes, not bright and early here. That's excellent. Yeah, you can see the sun rising behind me here in, in <laughs> South Australia, uh, which is a sure sign that we're talking to somebody in Europe today when we have to get up with the, with the lark. In order to in order to make the session work both in Europe and in the in the US, um, our guest this week is Randeep Ramesh. Gabby, maybe you'd like to introduce Randeep. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Randeep, and for bearing with our technical issues. Um, Randeep is the chief leader writer for the Guardian newspaper in London. He is the winner of the British Journalism Awards Scoop of the Year and the What the Papers Say Investigation of the Year for his work on parliamentary lobbying scandals. And he also edited The Guardian's Instant History of the Iraq War. Randeep is a trustee of the anti-poverty charity Z2K and is a member of the Guardian Foundation Board. Um, from our point of view, if you've ever read anything in The Guardian which has appeared to be influenced by modern monetary theory, there's a very good chance that it was written by Randeep. So, what does the job of chief leader writer involve? Uh, hi, Gabby. Um, the chief leader writer of the paper is basically um, uh, a person who has to have a discussion with other um, editorial board members about big issues of the day and then basically decides what The Guardian would think about it in a sort of corporate sense. And um, we kind of have to make decisions about you know, uh, it could be foreign policy, it could be Taiwan, it could be Ukraine, wow. it could be housing. You have to, you have to know about environment. pretty much everything. I have a shallow knowledge, of, <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's a big puddle. Mm. Um, and yeah, so we, you know, we touch upon a lot of subjects. Yeah. And um, I've done, I've worked on City, on the finance pages of The Guardian. I've worked as a foreign correspondent and I've worked as a, on, as a home reporter and investigative reporter. So I've done lots of different jobs and I think that's probably why I ended up where I am today. Um, uh, it's very interesting. You get to meet a lot of interesting people. Yeah. Uh, the pandemic yeah. has been a bit challenging, but, um, mm. you know, we don't always get things right. The Guardian, um, you know, has to make a decision on subjects and history could turn out very differently to what we thought it might so mm. you know. yeah I was going to ask about that because um, I think there's a, a, a great reluctance to acknowledge that you know that whole thing about you know when the facts change I change my mind people mm. tend to because of things that they might have said on the record in the past be very reluctant even when the, the kind of ground is shifting underneath them to acknowledge that maybe they didn't have it quite right in the first place and to, um, without losing face, say, I was wrong and I now believe it's this other, other conclusion. Yeah, I mean, that it's hard because, um, you know, The Guardian has two traditions. One is a left tradition, one is a liberal tradition. Mm. And uh, the left tradition seems emphasizes, as it would do, vested interests within any system. Mm. And the liberal tradition tends to see things as 
you know two sides of an argument uh and mm. and so you you kind of have to straddle those two um kind of arguments two ways of viewing the world um and you know what i think you can see uh is that as the dominating paradigm um of any the way one views whatever subject you choose to view sort of is steadily eroded by facts by events then you have to find a different narrative a different paradigm mm. and, and you know yeah. this is it's quite a it can be a struggle i think you know it's often useful to have a disciplining matrix when you're trying to put forward an argument i mean these are all sort of you know fancy ways of saying people look at the world in a particular way usually influenced mm -hmm. by who they are and what they are but you know that's um that's just what we have to do as a as a sort of editorial board um but you know we're, we're not just we're just one voice in a paper i mean we are the voice of the mm -hmm. newspaper if you like but yeah it is yeah. one voice these days as opposed to in the grand old days of the guardian when it was basically the only voice um, so yeah for sure when it's it's interesting that you talk about the view of the newspaper because particularly where anything to do with modern monetary theory is concerned um mm -hmm. i'm often responding to people online when because the, the sort of people that are interested in mmt are very often guardian readers mm -hmm. um at, when people either complain about something they've read in The Guardian, or they'll be reading something which looks very MMT informed in The Guardian, which you've probably written yourself. And oh, they're saying, oh, I, didn't know, I didn't know The Guardian was so pro MMT. And I usually respond by saying, well, a newspaper doesn't really have yeah. one opinion. Instead, it's a conflation of lots of people's uh, opinions. Yeah. So it just depends on who's written a particular piece. Yeah, I mean, um, I would say I'm, uh, I mean, I said this to you before, Stephen, in different formats, mm. that I'm, I'm not an mm. economist, I'm a journalist, mm. and uh, I wouldn't even describe myself as a modern monetary theorist. I just mm. happen to believe that the Guardian's tr economic tradition is rooted mm. in a post-Keynesian view, and it always, it should have been, and we, we have made deviations which i consider errors from that understanding of mm. the world um in economic terms mm. uh you, you might know like larry elliott who's um our mm. economics editor is is a kind of is a keynesian i mean he was mm. i don't think he'd mind me saying that so when people sort of read uh the stuff that that they think is sort of deliberately mmt i, I wouldn't mm. say it is i think it's just the best disciplining matrix, the the best way of looking at the world. I mean, I think yeah, that's exactly and, right. And we we yeah. need to keep reminding people that MMT is a lens. It's not a yeah. a um well apart from the the prescriptive side, which, as I understand it, is about having a job guarantee for people who are involuntary uh, unemployed against um, their will. Um, mm. It's really just a, a correct way of viewing how the world really works yeah i think there were there are um i suppose i, I would say that and again this is just poorly purely born out of experience it's mm. and i think i've said this stephen knows this a bit um 
is one of the questions that Queen Elizabeth asked a bunch of economists at the LSE in 2008 is, well, why didn't you see it coming? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was a good question to ask. But the thing was, if when I was, and I read, um, I think it's called Money and Government, which is Robert Skidelsky's book on economics. Mm-hmm. And in, in the footnotes, it says, well, you know, it's interesting to note that there were a group of economists that did see this coming. And it went, if you look in the footnotes, you can see them listed and they are... Mm-hmm. Uh, let me get this right. There's a gentleman called William Black, I think. Um, mm. There's uh, Randall Ray. There's, you know, there's a series of people, and they all happen to come. Although Robert Skidelsky in that book doesn't say they are uh, mm. MMTs, they all happen to be MMTs. And then the Eurozone crisis, which, um, you know, again, uh, when the ECB started intervening in the secondary markets to reduce bond yields, that was predicted. Um, well, it's godly Lavoie, but I mean, it's an MMT also. I mean, that's where it draws its tradition from. And then again, you know, overnight interest rates. Um, well, when you expand your deficits, what happens with overnight interest rates is they head towards zero, which again is one of those kind of uh, yeah. empirical proofs of uh, what MMT was suggesting would happen. Um, so, you know, these are... I'm. What more can one do when looks when one looks for explanations of what's going on, but sort of say, okay, well, strangely enough, this version of Pons Keynesianism seems to be, um, you know, explaining things that I want mm. explained. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really, you know, so. But that's, you know, if I mention da- Daniela Gabor in, or if Daniela mm. Gabor gets mentioned in a leader or Isabella Weber, or, you know, any number of other post-Keynesians, uh, Malcolm Sawyer, you know, these are not, mm. they're all of a tradition. I'm not expert enough to know entirely what all the differences are between them, but I think the Guardian simply sort of aligns itself in I that I think very few, very few of us, not include, <laughs> I'm in the same category as you there, Randy. If I was going yeah. to ask you, uh, I would describe myself as post-Keynesian and right. I'm not a you know, I'm not a leading economist but there are some people that I would regard as leading economists like John Harvey who would also regard themselves as post-Keynesian but are in the modern monetary theory camp as well yeah. and Randall yeah. Ray was a famous post-Keynesian before modern monetary theory even existed as a thing yeah. and yet in well everywhere but especially in the uk there are a lot of post-keynesian economists who not only wouldn't regard themselves as being associated with mmt but who are really quite hostile about that perspective on the world and i don't i i genuinely don't understand why i don't understand the difference between the groups really you you speak to these people on both sides of the fence um is there a difference and 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 what is it you know it's a good question because i think i first started really looking at mmt uh well i mean you know five years ago and um Mm -hmm. i think i struggled to know exactly what the differences were um and I think some of it, um, uh, I remember talking to uh, an associate of Wynne Godley's uh, who's around still. And he actually, I think the great worry for the 
British economy for people who've dealt with the British. I mean, he was an advisor to Tony Benn, this guy who's part of the Cambridge group. Francis um, Cripps, he must be referring yeah, to, I guess. Yeah, so yeah. exactly. Mm. So, I, you know, and Francis, I thought, was the most incisive kind of understanding of what MMT was because he had sort of followed the debates. And mm. I'm, I don't want to quote him wrong because I, I, I so had a great respect for him when I talked to him. And I think what his problem was really whether the one could reorientate things. You know, I think he had felt that it had gone too far to easily kind of switch to a real resources model. I mean, if one can put it in those mm. terms. Um, I don't think, of, you know, as someone who, who had kind of dealt with that world and still deals with those kind of problems, sectorial balance problems on a global basis, mm. and he's well aware. Um, and I thought he had a sort of he had quite a interesting take on it. I mean, where I subsequent to that, I mean, this is sort of getting a bit technical, but mm -hmm. I did think I was rather convinced by John Harvey's argument, um, well, of mm -hmm. what determines a currency's level, um, mm -hmm. and that was one of the questions that the Crips had kind of raised was like, you know, you 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 tinker with these things at your peril and there has to be some political notion of what you're seeking to achieve. And that's mm. quite hard to do given the prevailing winds in the UK. And I, I understand that and it's a very centralized system. And you know this better than I do, Stephen. It's very hard to, to move against the orthodoxy, which, um, you know, has been a losing battle for people who are interested in the post-Keynesian or Keynesian side of the argument since about 1949, you know, when the Treasury <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. kind of basically yeah. did away with cheap money. Um, I remember it well. Yeah, but, you know, it, it seems to be this sort of argument kind of goes uh, goes back to those sort of days. Um, and I think that's it, it, the tre Treasury's dominance uh, of economic thinking is quite, quite, it's quite remarkable in this country. I, it's quite mm. hard to push against that. And it's not a decentralized sort of um you know the european landmass is bigger so you have more interesting mm. debates there i think sometimes and they have mm. much more interesting kind of viewpoints they've been through so many different sort of histories to get where they are the american is is a big country developing countries you know have their own traditions of viewing things um mm. and certainly i became i was my interest in in Keynesianism as a sort of idea it really was through the developing economy model. So, you know, I've been a, been a leader writer writing about development. That's how I mm. sort of 20 years ago. Anyway, this is a long way of saying that England is very resistant for all sorts of reasons. You know, some of it is, you know, left wing economics is dominated by Marxists, I would say. Hmm. Yeah. Just, that, that, the, the thing that surprises me a little bit is that I, I, I mean, for me, post-Keynesian economics is is first of all the notion that market economies left to their own don't automatically self-correct; they have no tendency hmm. to full employment. Secondly, that um, the distribution of income and wealth has a lot to do with bargaining power and isn't technologically determined or to do with productivity. And thirdly, the old Minskyan story that um, capitalism, financial capitalism is unstable up, upwards and naturally yeah, has booms yeah. and busts and needs to be constrained. All of which, of course, feeds into 
uh, MNT. But the thing that confuses me a little bit about that the the UK story, which I I, I accept that, it, that just the way you've been talking about it, is that after you failed to have any influence consistently for 70 years, you might think that a different approach, a slightly different approach might not be such a big risk because, uh, as I said, I, I think of myself as a post-Keynesian, but... It depends what you're trying to achieve, world, doesn't it? Well, across much of the world, post-Keynesians are 70 years old or above. <laughs> that's basically not, maybe not in the UK but uh, but here pretty much unless you're at Sydney University uh you're probably 80 something if you're a, if you're a post Keynesian and I, I I like the way John Harvey puts it he says uh, modern monetary theory is just post Keynesian monetary economics done right and, well, yeah <laughs> yeah I mean you know <laughs> but I know I was... Randy is it's it's, it's uh, we've had some quite long conversations over yeah. the phone, so I, I think we. Agree I was wondering on, if on we could stuff. talk about um, a little bit about the sort of the donut economics side of of things because we try to kind of that's our aim is to combine MMT with the idea of uh, a more sustainable um, way of living and a more sustainable economic system. So um, do you have much, um, do you have contact with um, Kate Raworth? Uh, not for Guardian? a few years, no, no. Okay. I mean, uh, that's because uh, I remember Steve emailed me and I, I kind of had to think my brain's well, when's the last time? And mm. it would have been a few years before the pandemic because I think mm. that, that book had come as a sort of, you know, quite an important book some years ago and had picked up a lot of traction as had mariana's uh, yeah, book yeah. And, and kate's had come out and you know so but it kind of got lost in this way i mean uh, not that i don't yeah. think it's a great book and she's not a brilliant mm. brilliant economist mm. but um it kind of didn't punch through for me um but that wasn't anything to do with kate or the work which is you know it's a landmark book um yeah and I think that's one of the, uh, like, as Stephen says, I've been much more engaged with, I think, more traditional Keynesians and mm. post-Keynesians. Mm. Um, but I think Kate's, I mean, the general point, of course, about environmental sustainability, uh, I mean, I, I kind of don't really know how, well, I do know, I, d I don't really think we're willing to accept in the society the kind of trade-offs because we, I, how, how many years, mm. how many decades has it been that we have broken the planetary boundary for resource use? I mean, it's, yeah. we're way, yeah. I don't 50 know, years now. What, 50 years, there you go. Um, yeah. And, you know, we continue to use materials that, can't be replenished or it's going to be a hell of a job re extracting mm. them so i'm not mm. quite sure and and you know kate um and jason hickel who um i mean like all of us like like me uh, has been on a journey because i think his first books were much more mainstreamy and mm. he's become much more radical now um, yeah yeah um which is another sort of interesting development for people but i think it's all on this basis of once people sort of start seeing that we are actually reaching a tipping point 
in where we will not be able to return to a position of say 10 or 20 years ago and i I think the IPC, what have we got, 10 years, maybe nine? I can't, I can't remember yeah, what it is, but eight. it's a so very, eight, yeah. there you go. It's a very short period of time because we are, ex I think as Kate and, and Jason sort of say, we're sort of hooked onto this GDP, you know, rising value of transactions idea, which, you know, doesn't, it doesn't capture what we needs to capture. The price signal is not going to be able to do that. And we need a fundamental reappraisal of what human well-being is. What, what, where do you think that would come from? Does it have to come from people like Extinction Rebellion and uh, people, just ordinary people on the street, um, realising mm. that we can't go on as we are? I mean, Extinction Rebellion is very, no, it's, it's, they're an interesting, you know, they're an interesting group. I mean, they're, they're sort of demonized uh, by the press here for, oh, I mean, the, generally the right-wing press. I mean, it's hard mm. to find a, who are the left-wing press, but, um, but I think they are demonized by, by many in the sort of popular newspapers because mm. they're, because of their tactics, but they're just there to highlight to wake people up in essence out of their slumber from what is happening with the planet. And I mean, yeah. it's very easy in Britain because we're at the end of a, you know, the high value end of a, of a supply chain of goods. We don't really see the de degradation that's going on, you know, yeah. you yeah. know, the nickel mines Australia's, of Indonesia yeah. <laughs> are far Australia's away. I mean, Australia. Same, yeah. But in, in a smaller way, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although well, we, in some ways I mean, in, a, in a bigger way, we're where all the coal comes from. We're, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. And we're, I guess we're also, we, we have a climate that is really susceptible to um, droughts and bushfires and devastating um, flooding and all sorts of uh, things going wrong. But then having said that, the UK has had a really bad time with, with that kind of natural disasters as well. So it's everywhere. It's in the Yeah, US. I think... You know, it's it's a it's when do you see a crisis? I mean, you don't really see it until it's upon you. I mean, this is a don't look up mm. sort of idea, but yeah. I mean, it's true. Yeah. And uh, what crisis? You know, what crisis will hit us first? I mean, is it? I mean, it's funny. People, COVID is one of those crises overlaid upon a a sort of slower moving, but probably more existential crisis of the environment. So mm. I always like the idea of the pasta price rises and uh, they partly go back to the droughts in the Canadi Canadian wheat growing regions so not enough wheat being grown mm. then COVID comes a lot disrupts the supply chain uh, energy prices go up and you know this all feeds through to prices of pasta rising by 70 percent mm. or whatever mm. it is in the shops yeah um you know if you get a few of those then maybe the people will see the crisis I don't know they're certainly not it's yeah. not being explained to them Quite a lot of people birds. don't even notice the price of pasta. Yeah. Yeah, or, I, I, should, yeah. I should say many, many, many do, and, and it affects people greatly. And I've been following um, the bootstrap cook on Twitter Jack and Crow, her, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that whole sort of thing about um, affordability, it was a really interesting area. Um, I've also... In Australia. Um, sorry. Sorry, Gabby, go on. I was just going to say, I also read quite a lot of George Monbiot, and I think he also is trying to wake people up, and he writes really passionately and, and movingly about that 
that uh, the kind of desperation of the don't look up thing. Um, and I wonder if we've got time, um, maybe I've I noticed him asking questions about MMT recently. Um, and I wonder if he may be uh, thinking about looking at the economy in a different way. I don't know. I mean, I, don't I, know. I know George a yeah. bit, but um, yeah. I wouldn't say that I kind of talk to him about these things um in in any great depth he's his own man i mean he's yeah, his own person yeah, he yeah. he makes his own decisions and um but i'm sure he'd be willing to listen i think i think the part of the problem with i mean it's interesting that you you've taken the environmental kind of side of the, it may be the way that people can see mmt as a sort of way of viewing the world and it and it might work for them in that sort of way in the same way that it worked for me because it explained a few things, you know, that I had been mm. sort of pondering, like, why, why is this working in this way? Um, I could have got there, maybe others would argue, I could have got there if I read, you know, Jean-Michel or, or another post-Keynesian economist. Fair enough. Mm. Um, yeah. But I, I think that um, it may be a really interesting way of getting people to understand the economy if you can get them to understand yeah. um, the sort of environmental crisis. I would say one thing, which I think we all sort of, we can all be upended by these things. And I, I, I do, I'm interested to know whether there is a, a geoengineering solution to the planetary, you know, to, to climate change. I personally think climate change is a bit bigger than just CO2 because it seems to me mm. we're using a lot of resources, yeah. you know, and, you know. Certainly sustainability um, yeah. is, and that, that's where I think the, the genius of the nine planetary boundaries approach, which is the outside of, of uh, the, the outside ring of K. Ravistona, mm. uh, of course, uh, is concerned. I was going to mention George Monbiot as well great so great minds think alike because he has a home at the guardian <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, so yeah. That's, that's, that's where we read a lot a lot of the things that um that he writes but it's been it's been very good to see kate and stephanie connecting up stephanie kelton and and mariana as well and then holding each other's books in that famous oh, yeah. photograph the, the Twitter jason thing. hickle has engaged too Oh, with the yes. uh, modern monetary theory and we have a reading on the weekend courses we run uh wow. where jason writes about um mmt and, and and job guarantees i think george monbiot has said he's mmt curious okay which is i'm yeah well that's good <laughs> i mean it all begins with that right and the impulse to understand yeah. something so i think yeah and he'd the be a great ally say maybe i had it wrong before and i now know better yeah, I yeah, wish more people could do that. We're all learning. I mean, just look <laughs> at Paul Krugman and Larry Summers. They're they're learning. Yeah, they're learning in public. <laughs> they're they're learning being very taught slowly. in public. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, well, it was uh, it was great to meet you four years ago, um, Randy. Um, That's I, right. It, it, it's kind of taken me back to that. Uh, we we met. Uh, in Oxford when I was extraordinarily jet-lagged and trying to give a talk. And why you've reminded me of that was because although the politician who was speaking, it's a very impressive person, it was a Molly... Molly Cato Scott, Smith, wasn't it? Cato. Yeah. Um, I originally agreed to do that talk because the other person that was going to be giving the talk was going to be Kate Raworth. 
Oh, was it? Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Not that I was at all disappointed because no, no. Was, uh, was great. And we got to meet, oh, oh, you probably met him before numerous times, but we got to meet Larry Sanders. Larry Sanders as yeah, well. That's right. Yeah. On that occasion, which was mar- marvelous. But uh, maybe you've already answered this question, but you seem to know quite a lot about MMT even then in 2018. Um, what was your first introduction? I mean, what was the first thing you read or who was the first person you met? You know, the first thing I'd, yeah, it was one of, well, I mean, it was Bill Mitchell's blog. Ah, um, excellent. Which somebody yep. had, and it was about, um, it was about the Euros. I mean, you know, I, I'm not, I'm agnostic about the ECB. I mean, at that stage, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't kind of uh I'm not like Bill, who sort of thinks that, you know, the Eurozone is a sort of dystopia that's all going to end. And yeah. it's so, and maybe I just hadn't engaged with it, although I had my fill of Europe having worked there as a reporter. And I thought, oh, God, I want to get out of here. Um, so I think that was, that was my first kind of thing. But I, I just, it was just another blog that I used to read, you know, there's plenty of them. Um, and I didn't really understand it because it, it had its own style of explaining things. So I left it to one side. The first person who actually made me think really hard about it was uh, Fidel, Fidel Kabu, because he mm. gave a talk wow. at City University about the job mm. guarantee. Mm. And it was um, at a time when job, I mean, it, it was sometime earlier, but job guarantees had started being talked about at the end of the Gordon Brown um premiership in britain which was sort of 2009 2010 and i'd just come back from uh, asia as a foreign correspondent and i'd know i'd sort of known the new labor project and was quite surprised to see it end up there and then it it kind of disappeared although their mini scheme was actually very successful and i mm-hmm. i ended up sort of doing sort of a lot of social affairs kind of reporting mm-hmm. and had always wondered about this scheme and then fidel mm-hmm. sort of popped up I can't remember when it was, 2017, I think, maybe 2018. Anyway, it was about then, Mm. just sort of saying. And then when he explained it, and he's a great sort of, you know, he's very good at sort of explaining things for Dale, and I'm slow, so he's very good at dealing with people like me. (laughs) And I was thought, this is really smart. You know, this is is great. Why, why Why don't I understand economics, even though I sort of think I get Keynes? Um in the way that he can un- kind of explain it to me so clearly. Um, and that's really where it started and where I started reading up on it. And then, um, you know, I had a sort of an idea of, of doing a sort of bigger piece on um, on post-Keynesianism. And that's mm. where I talked to like Vicky Chick and, you know, kind mm. of Francis and other people, mm. Joe. Um, and it was a great time because Corbyn was in the air. So this idea that, you know, you could have a, a different sort of economics was was being kind of retailed. Bernie was Bernie Sanders was sort of big in America. Yep. yep. Mm. So um, you know, it seemed everything seemed possible. Um uh history was to prove otherwise. But I mean it was an interesting time and that's where mm. I sort of but you know, what's what I really thought was brilliant about about opening your mind up was bring if you were prepared to read a few books again mm. in some cases for me and understand them in a different way you mm. could really grasp at something that you know hadn't you had 
maybe glanced and with and and kind of not really understood i don't know if mm. you get that i mean for me that was the way um and i've been much more comfortable now um with the post-keynesian traditions um sort of talking to people about them and understanding why people hold certain views because they are idea they're not ideological in the sense that there's some great kind of left right ideology that they just have a belief system and you have to sort of mm. accept that belief system yeah or they've uh, been taught and, a certain way yeah. and they need to kind of unlearn things yeah yeah i For mean me, well, well, yeah, yeah I, I i agree with what you were just saying randy sorry please continue no 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 i'm just rambling yeah. go ahead steve yeah <laughs> well, i was going to say that for me the great thing about mmt and Bill Mitchell would not agree, I, I don't think, because I think Bill sees MMT as as having far fewer roots in post-Keynesian economics than, than I do. So, and, yeah. and he's the great expert and I'm not. But yeah, for me, the thing about post-Keynesian economics was it was almost, at least when I encountered it, almost the economics of defeatism. It's mm. what's wrong with the way the world is being run at the moment and what will remain wrong because nobody's ever going to listen to us. That that was what it sounded like mm. to me. Whereas the modern monetary theory perspective was more positive. We don't always have to lose. Uh, we actually have, here is, some, here is a proposal, but here is a really transformative way of looking at the world and looking at public finances, which can change people's opinions and can make things look possible which previously um didn't look possible um but i think and uh, maybe gabby will have another question otherwise we'll wind up soon but i think there's a much smaller step from post-keynesian economics to modern monetary theory than the vituperative dialogue that you sometimes see would would make it appear I think we're yeah. very close cousins, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, Bill is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a very, very clever guy and knows much more about, you know, economics than I would ever be able to. And um, Me too. A hundred times too. as much as yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure he can see these differences um, and he's probably mm. been engaged in debates where he mm. has been debating those differences, but they are too fine a point or I am not, um, I don't have that in me to see that, that, that fine detail. Mm. Uh, some of it may not be fine detail. Um, mm. but I, I think it's, you know, he's, he's, his books are always, you know, very, they're very interesting. They're very informative. They've got, a, you know, and I, I kind of hold him in quite a high regard. I know it's a sort of, uh, he's, uh, you know, it's a, I'm sure he thinks the Guardian is, you know, Remainer Central or whatever. But, um, <laughs> but you know, that's uh, that's fine. <laughs> well, he but, uh, I, 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 he played the same role in my education that he played in yours. Well, Randy. You so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I think the big problem is really that um, how do you, how without a political project do, does one sort of change the paradigm um and that that um because i think the 
the academy is up for you know change and it's in its nature to to want to have a debate um i mean that 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 must meet the challenge you know um but essentially economics is a political project i mean that's what i sort yeah. of think is bizarre and this week we've got it'll be coming uh, I mean, 38 years since nigel lawson gave the may's lecture uh, which reset you know changed the growth and employment you know macro micro view for the british treasury or at least for for him um you know the arguments about the phillips curve everything sort of you mm. know these are pivotal moments um yeah and yeah. it's a political politically driven project um and it was about you know <laughs> financializing the uk economy which you know has been successful uh, in many ways i mean it's successful for the people who pursue that project yeah. um yeah. but it's, it's left us in a many other people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but i often wonder whether germany's experimenting with a huge current account surplus and wage repression is not mm -hmm. the flip side of something similar like a a politics which has you know been captured by the thing it sought to reinvent its own economy with is sort of parasitically yeah you know yeah put itself into the system and schwarz and all that stuff is well of course you would i mean you know you've got a eight percent gdp you know current account surplus well well, well how, what exactly are you going to do with a fiscal deficit it's, it's sort of a it's just another way of, of viewing where their politics gets them. Um, so, I, and that for me is a, is a great uh, problem. Like, I, I wonder whether Green Party, which was, had a more, uh, took you back to real resource constraint, because I think that's what green politics must end up in. I mean, it can try to go through all different ideas. Um, yeah. Uh, but it will end up there unless there's a solution in geoengineering or something like that, which there, you know, uh, that can turn them into some sort of techno green movement. But I think they're in, they'll end up in this kind of space, which is much more about real resources. Um, and that, that's a sort yeah. of Keynesian four day week place. Um, yeah, that, that, that's yeah. a great People place. You can see the benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great place to to um, bring the discussion to a conclusion since we're we're well well over our normal time, even though. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Start. No. Very true. Very true. I think that's, that's something that's, to hope for, isn't it? That we can yeah. all, that we can yeah. learn to value things differently and and think about yeah. work differently and mm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, our you know. planetary boundaries. Uh, yeah, unless there's some silver bullet that I'm missing. I mean, this is kind of, you know, it's it's part of the things that somebody like me has to think about because I can be, you know, if you make these arguments, then one has to worry that that they may all be just be wrong. You just may have got the, you may have missed the speeding train that's going straight past <laughs> you, you know. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Well, Thank that, you that so was much. really fascinating. Andy. Yeah. Thanks. It's, yeah, thanks it's so well. good to talk thanks. to you. Um, yeah, no, and to, I learned quite a lot about, you know, um, the, the economic side of MMT and how it emerged and what its relationship is to post-Keynesianism. So thank you for that. And no, thanks for coming about, on I mean, with Steve, us. No, Stephen's been a, a great uh, 
person that I ring up. He's a, he's a teacher, in actual fact, of mine. I, I <laughs> watch his stuff. So I, you know, I, I'm always I'm feel free to more reach than out. Happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. Um, I tell him to come back home. We need we need some oh, sort oh. of some lecture, some professor to. to well, say he, come, might, he may uh, be coming for a visit. <laughs> Oh, well, no, I'll see him. Yeah, I've told him. Yeah, I'll get him lunch. Yeah, in July. That'd be great. Thanks yeah. very much, Randy. No and problem. Thanks, I, should, Randy. I, I should also just remind people that next week we're going to talk to Sherry Wise again, yes. this time about yes. climate change, uh, which will be terrific, and about Joe Firestone's show that follows us on a Tuesday evening in New MMT York. MMT Tuesday. Tuesday morning yes. in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. I'll Take play care. The Thanks, Randy. Video. Thank you so no much. No problem, Steve. Anytime. Bye.